Today on the Goal USA MLS podcast, Thomas Floyd and Seth Fratelny join me. There's no midweek fatigue here, but we do discuss the poor fate of three of the teams and the one, Toronto, that was able to succeed despite a midweek game. We also look into the best acquisitions during the offseason and two coaches in Philadelphia and LA, respectively, who got a big boost, but is it enough to take them off the hot seat? That and so much more on the Goal USA MLS podcast. Welcome in for another week of the Goal USA MLS podcast. It's the DC establishment joining me today, Thomas Floyd and Seth Fertelny. How's it going, guys? Not too going, bad. I just want well, to John. see what happens when I do that. I don't know. I'll, I'll stop. I'll stop <laughs> one day. <laughs> I mean, I, I pause to see if Thomas is going to say anything. He pauses to see if I'm going to say anything. And then we both say something at once. Oh, you guys, a typical politics, <laughs> typical DC, just talking out of both sides of your mouth. Also, last week, I got a lot of angry uh, emails and one angry tweet about me not knowing that two cities in New Jersey have been the federal capital. Uh, yeah, I actually did know that. I just, Ivis doesn't live in either one of those. Anyway, thankfully, this show isn't about politics. It's about Major League Soccer, and it was a, another full weekend of games. It kicked off with Vancouver Whitecaps beating the Colorado Rapids 1-0 on Saturday. The matinee was Toronto FC going to Seattle, coming out with a 1-0 victory. Montreal did the same, going to D.C. and getting a 1-0 win. Philadelphia, finally on the board. Their first one of the season, 3-0 over the New York Red Bulls. The Columbus Crew beat the New England Revolution 2-0. The Dynamo were all over, all over Orlando City. 4-0. FC Dallas went to Real Salt Lake and put a 3-0 beating on them. 2-2 between LA and the Chicago Fire. The Quakes closed out Saturday with a 3-0 victory over the Portland Timbers. And on Sunday, two nice ones. It was Minnesota United beating Sporting Kansas City 2-0 in Minnesota. And then New York City, the home field advantage of that narrow field, 3-1 over Atlanta United. Guys, let's go back and start with Toronto. I thought it was really interesting. Uh, it, it was a weird week because there were two midweek games, and it seemed to really affect the teams that played those games. It was or- Toronto beat Orlando 2-1, Sporting beat Red Bulls 2-0, and all three of those teams, all, three of those teams lost. Toronto didn't, and they wouldn't, didn't take some of their best players to Seattle. T. Floyd, this was, to me, a pretty impressive win to go into Seattle and put together a pretty good performance, come out with all three points. I think that match is a real tribute to the depth they have at Toronto FC. When you look at some of the players who stepped into the lineup, uh, Jade Chapman, Benoit Giroux, these are guys who have not really been involved at all with TFC this season. They've been buried pretty far down the depth chart. And particularly to, to bring a young, talented player like Jay Chapman in, and see him rise to the occasion in an MLS Cup rematch and be one of the more effective players on the field. I think that shows the quality of the squad they have in Toronto top to bottom and why this is a team I think is a real Supporters' Shield contender if they get a string of momentum going. Giovinco was one of the big names that, that wasn't there. Seth, uh, we talked about his influence and, and how important he is, but also about Josie Altidore. Not only did Altidore convert the PK, but he also had a couple good opportunities. This was a team that, yes, was sort of flashing its death, as T. Floyd mentions, but some of the you know leaders of Toronto FC and Altidore in Bradley also came through big. Yeah, definitely. And we've mentioned this the last couple of weeks, that between Altidore and, and Jovinko, it seems like at least one of them has stepped up to carry the load for Toronto this season. And, you know, without Javinko on this on this match against Seattle, it, it was Altador um, who, you know, he converted the penalty kick, won the penalty kick, uh, could have scored another goal, if not for a great save by Stefan Fry. 
and it, yeah, it was it was a match where the the depth shined, and also where some of Toronto's more consistent performers shined as well in terms of uh, Altidore and uh, Bradley. You look at this game, and of course it's a rematch of of MLS Cup. And, you know, there are some big names on Toronto, some of them who weren't there, but there's also a lot of big names on Seattle. Obviously, Clint Dempsey, Nicholas Liero, Osvaldo Alonso, Jordan Morris, Roman Torres, Stefan Fry, Jovan Jones. This is a good team, T. Floyd, but they're frustrated right now. In fact, Brian Schmetzer said after the game, overall, there's a lot of frustration in that locker room. We're tired of that same storyline, extended possession, getting a bunch of chances. That storyline is growing old fast. Seattle's frustrated, T-Flood. What do they have to change? That's a good question because a couple weeks ago, I thought they had unlocked the combination that was going to work going forward, and that was shifting Jordan Morris back to the left side of midfield role. He played in the postseason last year, bringing Will Bruin in up top to fill the void left by Nelson Valdez, who wasn't overly effective as a goal scorer, but still got the job done with his work rate in the MLS Cup playoffs last year. To have a forward who can pressure back lines, be a target, uh, contribute some goals as well. I just thought bringing Bruin in, sliding Morris back was the right combination for Seattle. And now that they're struggling as well with that unit on the field. I'm not quite sure what to think. Obviously, they're still missing some defensive pieces. They could really use Chad Marshall on the back line. Uh, Svensson, I think, has been a game contributor playing out of position as a center back or a right back, but obviously he's no Chad Marshall. They also could really use Brad Evans back in the fold at right back. So if I'm a Sounders fan, maybe uh, I'm optimistic that those attacking players will figure it out. They're just too talented to be held off the board too often. And that bringing veteran defenders like Evans and Marshall back into the fold will solve some of the defensive issues. I don't think it's necessarily panic time either. You know, you look at the last two weeks, it's a loss. And then that that draw with uh, New England that they sort of had to storm back for. So, you know, maybe the results haven't gone super well. The play hasn't been great on the field. But I think it's a little too early for Seattle to panic. Although, of course, right now they're sitting outside of the playoff picture. Plenty of time still to go. One team that is in the playoff picture, another team that played one of those midweek games is Orlando. Uh, they were rolling along, had the, I think, best record and most points or something. They were in first place at the very least, heading into the week. And now two defeats in a row. They lose 2-1 to Toronto. And they did not look up for that game in Houston. A 4-0 defeat against the Dynamo in Houston. It could have been a little worse. Maybe Houston's already starting to A, click, and B, find that sort of Houston home field advantage. But Seth, this week couldn't have got much worse for Orlando. They're still only a point behind Toronto in the East, but you have to have some concerns about uh, about how the Jason Crisis team looked this week. Yeah, I think so. You know, they, they got off to a great start, but they were winning a few of these games by one goal, and you were thinking at some point, the shoe is gonna the the other what what's other the shoe is gonna drop I think is the what other, you want to say. The other shoe is gonna drop. Yeah, yeah. That's what um, I was gonna so, say. So yeah, it's not a huge surprise that they lost these two games, especially two places that are tough to play on the road in in Toronto and Houston, especially that Houston game uh, just a couple of days after playing at Toronto, missing Jonathan Spector, who's really been the linchpin of their back line. I think we could have seen that result coming. Uh, one thing that we didn't really see coming was such a poor performance by Joe Bendick, who was the MLS player of the month in April. He had a couple of pretty poor goals conceded. Uh, but for Orlando, 
I don't think it's quite time to panic because they've established that uh, their new stadium is a bit of a fortress. They've won all five games there. And if they can just continue to get good results at home and uh, manage the occasional good result on the road, they'll, they'll be there, if not at the top of the Eastern Conference standings, at least uh, in the mix for a playoff spot all season. They're the only team in the league so far that has yet to tie. Uh, Toronto FC has four draws already on the season. So does Philadelphia. Uh, Orlando nil. Toronto, uh, excuse me, T. Floyd, uh, you tweeted that, that Jonathan Spector's defensive of, uh, Defender of the Year campaign got a real boost by his absence in Houston, how bad they looked. Uh I know that you love uh, looking at the award picture, but, but what did you think of their performance and how significant was it to not have him against the Dynamo? I think it was huge. And when we discussed Orlando earlier this year, I think there was uh, a, a decent amount of concern about how poor their backline was last season and how they maybe had not made enough moves to address the, the issues. But they had brought in Spectre. And that was the only notable, real defensive anchor they had added to the group. His center back partner had basically been a rotation of holdovers from that poor unit last year. But despite that, they have been very good defensively because of Spectre. And then they also brought on uh, Scott Suter, who uh, they signed early in the season and has been another uh, standout performer at right back. So the, the defense has been better than we thought. But I think this matchup where you see a Reading AHA backline or a Reading AHA center back pairing specifically. Uh, <laughs> it just to, sounds like you're discovering something. Yeah. Uh, to, to see that unit, a, a partnership we saw, uh, I believe, at times last year when Orlando was really struggling defensively and just cycling through countless center backs looking for the right player. I think it really put the spotlight on just how important Jonathan Spector has been to improving this Orlando backline almost single-handedly. It wasn't a huge aha moment for us, Orlando's bad week. We've had him a little lower in the power rankings than a lot of our counterparts. So, you know, if you want to check those out on goal.com, you can find exactly where every team belongs. We're going to take a quick break. When we get back, we're going to talk about which coach in trouble did more to advance their uh, job security, I guess. And then we're also going to talk about which off-season edition has been best. Stay with us after the music. We'll talk about those two things and more. some results that I think will help them out. The Philadelphia Union beat the New York Red Bulls 3-0, which sounds like a lot, but T. Floyd, a lot, all three of the goals for Philly came pretty late. Is this as big of a boost for Jim Curtin as we think it might be? I think it is, and it's almost because of the circumstances. This is a union team that has, they've put together some strong individual halves of matches. Uh, looking back to that game where they jumped to a 3-0 lead, against Montreal and then just collapsed in the second half. So that's to see them kind of turn the tables and, and have a match where they actually, instead of falling apart late, 
they have a, a surge in the final 15 minutes of the game and really seize control. That, to me, was a, a statement about the character of this team and how maybe the potential locker room issues you speculate about when a team surrenders leads and, and can't get the job done in the, in the final 30 minutes of a match, this seemed to answer uh, those questions and show that this is a Philadelphia team that maybe has a bit more belief in their coach than uh, people would have feared based on their poor start to the season. I didn't hail CJ Sapong as much as I probably should have. Goals in the 74th, 81st, and 85th minutes for a hat trick. Seth, you were sort of sighing there when T. Floyd was talking about locker room character. Are you skeptical that the union have anything going for them? You think that they've been sort of, uh, is this the complete performance that they needed? Or you got some doubts. I still have some doubts about Philadelphia just because of how long their their poor form has lasted. It's been pretty much since mid-season last yeah. year. This is the first and, one since yeah. August, right? Yes, correct. And also, they are playing a Red Bulls team that was coming off uh, a midweek game, so uh, maybe not the... Uh, the most rested team that well, they yeah, could have faced. Yeah, midweek game against Sporting, a defeat, a trip to KC, and, and of course, you know, KC's a physical team, a difficult team to play against. Yeah, and like Thomas mentioned, all of Philadelphia's goals came in the last 15 minutes of the game, so maybe the 3-0 result flattered Philadelphia a little bit. Maybe it was a, a, a case where the Red Bulls finally ran out of steam later on in the game. Uh, of course, uh, getting a 3-0 win, uh, getting another great performance from C.J. Sapong is going to provide a boost to Philadelphia. Uh, but it, it will definitely be interesting to see if they can replicate that performance uh, against teams that are just as rested as they are uh, moving forward. You've got some skeptics. And, oh, sorry. Go ahead, T. Floyd. Yeah, just to give Philadelphia a little more credit, the Red Bulls went heavy uh, with reserves in their midweek matchup against Sporting Kansas City. So uh, the travel and everything involved with the midweek matchup obviously is going to cause some fatigue. But guys like BWP, Question, uh, Adams, uh, they all were players who did not start that match against Kansas City. So, uh, you know, that that maybe gives the union a, a little more credit than you would figure based on the fact that they got this win against a, a seemingly beleaguered Red Bulls team. Fair point, fair point. Seth has some skepticism about Philly. I have some skepticism about LA. They were able to come back and get a 2-2 draw with the Chicago Fire after the Fire had a penalty from David Akam that he had to take multiple times. Imagine Nikolic scored uh, just a couple minutes after that. Then the second half, after Kurt Anolfo had made two first-half substitutions, they scored two goals, but both of them came off of corner kicks. I didn't really find a lot of inspiration in this comeback for the Galaxy. I think a lot of people thought after that 2-0, after 16 minutes, okay, this is, you know, the Galaxy are just in, you know, totally out of sorts. They were able to come back and get a result, which, sure, T. Floyd speaks to their character, maybe just like it does with the Union getting a win, but I still thought there were a lot of things that went wrong for this team and, and really probably a game that you should win at home against an Eastern Conference team that is much better than last year but is still sort of finding their footing. It's funny, this is a result that as the Galaxy were trailing in the first half, you saw a lot of conversation on Twitter that this could be Anolfo's last game. Uh, another loss at home could be the death blow for him. Mm-hmm. And I think if, they, if this had gone the other way, if this had been a 2-2 draw where the Galaxy took the lead, then maybe that also would be the type of thing that would trigger a, a shakeup. But the fact that they came back, it, it does give you some encouragement, particularly the fact that 
they were able to make this comeback after Anolfo made a couple changes to the lineup, made a controversial tactical adjustment to sub out Defender of the Year finalist and Captain Yella Van Damme and bring player. on Dave <laughs> to bring on Dave Romney and uh, and, and that move actually worked out. Romney set up the equalizing goal from Dos Santos off the set piece. So I think it's not only the fact that they came back, but the fact that some of Anolfo's decisions directly contributed to the comeback in a real tangible way. I think that instills a bit more belief in that L.A. locker room. And, and there's still just so much talent when you look at this team with Dos Santos and Alessandrini and uh, and, and if he can turn in consistent performances, Jermaine Jones, though, it's worth noting that the comeback came after he left the field. And, and maybe there are some concerns about him and Gio Dos Santos occupying some of the same spaces and not really being compatible. But these are things you get the sense that the Galaxy are starting to figure out. And if Anolfo can find the right combination, there's definitely talent on this roster for L.A. to move back up the standings. You're saying Jermaine Jones isn't showing great uh, positional discipline on the field, T. Floyd? Uh, you know, yeah. That's I, I don't think I'm the first person to have <laughs> pointed that out. Seth, what, what do you think, man? I, I'm skeptical. I'm not saying Kurt Anolfo needs to go necessarily. I just don't think this win was a big... Uh, a show. Yeah, his subs worked out, uh, but I, I still think they could have, excuse me, the draw, the result, I, I think it could have been more. Am I wrong? No, I don't think so. It's not like the fire had been had been playing very well uh, heading into this game. Uh, yeah, like Thomas said, it was good that they got that draw in a comeback fashion rather than uh, uh, maybe a hard-fought draw or something like that where it was even the whole game. Uh, but uh, I don't know if benching Van Damme, even though it, it worked out in the short term, if that's something that's really going to be beneficial to the Galaxy in the long run. Uh, if you keep him on the bench heading into this four-game road trip that they are facing now, I don't think that's really going to bode well for them. I mean, he's their best defender, one of the best defenders in the league. Yes, he maybe isn't at the exact same level that he was last year, uh, but I think if you're the Galaxy, you want him in the lineup. So I'm not sure if that's going to work out long term. And for the Galaxy, uh, heading into this this road trip, they're really going to face more difficult matches than they have faced at home. And they haven't been able to get a result in the last couple of weeks against Philadelphia and Chicago. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens on this road trip. But certainly I think there's a chance that before this four-game swing is over, they, they might have a new head coach. They go to the Red Bulls, to Minnesota, to San Jose, and to D.C. United the next four weekends. The next time they play at home is June 17th against Houston. That's after we'll be talking about the U.S.-Mexico World Cup qualifier before the next time the Galaxy have a home game, which seems insane to me but is true. We'll see how Cardinalfo and the Galaxy get on. The New York City FC had a nice victory 3-1 against Atlanta United. Uh, David Villa with the goal, Rodney Wallace scored, and also set up a goal for Maxi Morales. Uh, this was a nice win from New York City FC. Uh, and what I really want to ask you guys is, when you look at Rodney Wallace, who isn't a total newcomer since he's been in the league before, but one of the better offseason signings, I think, of the year, Maxi Morales also maybe fits in that category. Ivis, in his MLS rap today on goal, uh, talked about the five best acquisitions. Uh, he went with uh, Jung without in the San Jose, Jonathan Spector, we've talked about Victor Vasquez up in Toronto, Ronnie Wallace, and Romel Kioto. 
in Houston. For you guys, Tifoy, starting with you, who's the best off-season acquisition, and maybe somebody who's not a, a huge name, a DP, uh, who's somebody that maybe flew under the radar, or one of those five that you think deserves a little bit of, uh, of shine? Well, uh, my first instinct is Jonathan Spector, mm-hmm. but since we discussed him already, I'll also give some love to Victor Vasquez in Toronto. Okay. I think he is a player who, when you watch TFC games, he's almost a luxury player because this is a team that already was you know, PKs away from winning MLS Cup with either Jonathan Osorio or Will Johnson playing that role in midfield. And now you bring Vasquez in and he's just brought an entire another element, his playmaking ability, his technical skill, his vision. He brings another weapon to TFC that just makes that club that much more dangerous. And I've been a, a big fan of his game and how he slides in alongside Michael Bradley and Marky Delgado in that Toronto midfield. It's something I've been surprised to see because he was in Mexico uh, in 2016. I guess he played kind of a tournament and a half with Cruz Azul and just didn't do anything. And they sort of split on, you know, he didn't want to be there anymore. The club didn't really want him. And so they just, I think he just, they terminated his contract, if I'm not mistaken. He, he was poor there, but it seems like he's really found the right fit in Toronto. And as you said, T. Floyd, his passing, I think, has been really impressive in how he's sort of finding uh, other options in Toronto. Toronto. What about you, Seth? Who do you think is the best uh, acquisition, maybe one that flew under the radar this offseason and is becoming a player that uh, that is, is you know a big part of the league already? Yeah, I'm going to go with the guy with you, that you mentioned earlier, uh, Rodney Wallace. Uh, first of all, it takes something special to displace the legend of Tommy McNamara <laughs> in New York, and that's exactly what Rodney Wallace has done. I think Patrick Vieira said after the game that it's not just what Wallace is bringing uh, on the attacking end, but uh, his two-way work, uh, his defensive work for New York has been what has kept him in the lineup. Uh, we saw what he can do on the attacking end again uh, yesterday against Atlanta. But uh, for New York, I-, I think it's been huge for Patrick Vieira's side to get a little bit more mobility, a little bit more two-way work in there. And it, it starts up top with Rodney Wallace. And of course, you have to go into that midfield as well, getting rid of uh, Frank Lampard. Now it seems like they're phasing Pirlo out, replacing them with guys like Yangel Herrera and uh, and Alexander Ring, uh, more mobile players. And um, bringing that element to, to New York seems to be what they were missing last year and what they could use to uh, get them even closer to a, a supporter shield spot this season. Rodney Wallace with three goals and three assists already on the season. Yango Herrera said they're interesting because he's been pretty crucial for New York City FC, as you mentioned. Maybe not a Pirlo replacement, but certainly a player who is starting in the center of where Pirlo could start, so maybe he is. But he's about to head off for, for the U-20s of Venezuela, if I'm not mistaken. An interesting uh, find, I think, for New York City FC. Pretty impressive that they were able to uh, to have a player who just so well maybe... Uh, Oh, maybe he's in the conversation as sort of a, I don't know, award candidate as well. T. Floyd, you know better than me, man. You love those awards. <laughs> he, I believe, has only started two games so far. So I'm putting uh, him in. He's been, ve- <laughs> he's been very good. Best but 11. I, I w- wouldn't quite throw him in that conversation yet, but maybe still. He's he's in my he's in my best 11. Of course, he's on loan from the parent <laughs> club, Manchester City. And uh, sure, my, my best edition of the year. Well, appreciate the time, guys. Thanks to the uh, DC establishment for joining me. Thanks, guys.
Nope, neither. Okay. I think that's actually probably, that's probably a better strategy, to be honest with you. Thank you, listener. You also don't have to say anything because we can't hear you, but we can hear you if you uh, write to us on Twitter. You can tweet at GoalUSA. We'll probably see that because we all sort of manage that account. But personally, I'm at Arnold, John. Thomas is at, at ThomasFloyd10. And Seth is at SVertelMe on Twitter. You can tell us about all the errors we made, just how wrong we are, and also... Uh, if you're enjoying some of the things on the show, too. If there's something you want us to talk about next week, we'd be happy to hear from you as well. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, and you understand how this works. You've listened to podcasts before. But thanks for listening to this one, and we hope to join us next week on the Goal USA MLS Podcast. Take care.